0: At the end of the show, I smashed the six TVs and I came off the stage in Boston and uh, immediately in front of me was Kurt Cobain saying, I love the way you smash the TVs, man, you know. (laughs)
1: Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Vintage Rock Pod, the podcast series that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. This is the podcast series where we interview rock stars from the classic golden age of rock, from the 60s, the 70s and the 80s, and we hear all about their wonderful stories. I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Now, we've got a great interview this episode with a man from one of the leading punk bands of the late 70s. He had some great hits and have been held up as inventors of pop punk. The catchy hooks and subject matter certainly differentiated them from the crowd back then and do so now, to be honest as well. There's some great stories in there about Sex Pistols and Nirvana, among others, and it's coming up very, very soon. Quick heads up, though, no Maudi this week. I think he's away cleaning demons from swimming pools or whatever it is these celeb rockers in LA get up to, but uh, we'll have him back on next week's show, that's for Sure. A quick shout out as well to some listeners as well this week. Had some great feedback from last week's interview with Scorpion's frontman Klaus Mine. That was a great interview. Very, very funny he was as well. If you've not had a chance to give that a lesson, uh, listen yet, yeah, definitely recommend you spin back to episode 8 and do so. It's brilliant. A lot of discussion around what the band's best album took place on Vintage Rock Pod's Facebook page. Richard Ruth, David and Parker, Mike Weil, uh, Ronnie Melton, among others, all getting involved on there. Corey Burmeister, Adam Fiona Ingleby and Susie Q for all their shares on Facebook. Facebook, that's much appreciated thank you to My Rock Mixtapes on Instagram and Twitter for pushing the podcast too and also to Dire Straight's blog they turned my interview with the band's bassist John Ilsley from uh, episode 2 into an article on their website and they pushed it around places as well which was very nice got a few hits on the interview on the YouTube as well so thank you very much to all those guys and to everybody else for interacting this week it's always very much appreciated and thanks to listeners in Bulgaria, Denmark, and Romania for stretching the podcast reach to 27 different countries now. Absolutely incredible. I thank you all. If you've not done so yet, hit like and follow on our social media accounts. Search for Vintage Rock Pod on all the usual places, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Just come along and say hello. I'd love to chat with you. Right, so let's kick off this episode and start where we always do, finding out what classic rock stars are hitting the headlines this week. And we do so with friend of the show, author and journalist Tim Peacock. So let's find out how he's getting on.
2: I'm all right, thanks, Paul. I'm working away. Yeah,
1: doing all right. Keep him busy, that's what we like to see. Keep him busy. Um, the, 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 the question on everyone's lips, though, Tim, is uh, Did you get a chance to listen to the new ACDC album? I know you've been a busy boy, but did you get a chance
2: to listen? <laughs> only once, only once. But I, I can't really pick out any specific tracks that I like because it was only a very, very quick listen. But it sounded good, it sounded consistent. And um, yeah, it is. Uh, Angus was saying in another interview, he was saying, Well, it's the ACDC sound, it's what everyone wants. We've not deviated fair play to him it, it sounds good I thought it was yeah I thought it was it was rocking certainly it, it is what I think people would want from them uh, you made this point last week Paul and I, I do think so I, I don't think they can go far wrong with that I don't really think we want them to make like a dubstep album or something <laughs> at this stage now really so you know <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no psychedelic now no no, not the no no, nothing
2: too much like that so but I will check it out again more next week Yeah,
1: good stuff good stuff so what have you got lined up for us this week in the news then Tim
2: right okay let's start with with um, Frank Zappa uh, this week, um, I would actually say I'm not a huge I'm not a huge uh, expert on Zappa by any means, but I think it's probably fair to say he's probably one of the biggest cult artists there's ever been. Really, I mean, long after his death, yes, he still yeah. attracts you know huge interest in people. And uh, as you've probably seen, there's a documentary about uh, Zappa that which is out. It's just called simply Zappa. Uh, it's been directed by a guy <laughs> called a guy called alex winter and uh, it's now available on demand from uh, magnolia pictures in the us um i know a certain amount about the background to zapper with you know working with you discover and um i do know the estates are very hands-on with everything that happens in relation to them but apparently this this film um they're, they're promising unfettered access I mean there's interviews with Zappa's widow Gail and various of his collaborators including the great Steve Vai and they've been advertising. It's like being a big weekend. They've been advertising it as Frank's instead of Thanksgiving in the in the US. So, um, and there's there's going to be um, a box set coming out as well next year. So yeah, it's, that looks like an interesting one. Yeah, certainly. yeah.
1: I'm a bit like you. I was never a huge fan of Frank Zappa. I remember at university, I had a friend who was who was massive into him. So when we'd be in the common room, whatever, he'd be blaring out there, and I always thought it was thought was very eclectic. That's probably. The simplest way of putting it, to be honest with you, isn't it? So- yeah, he's
2: one of those people. I think he polarises, certainly polarises opinion. Um, but I think he's one of those people, I suppose a sort of slightly Marmite-type aspect to him, if you like. But it's uh, one of those people, I think, if you really love him, you really, really love him. I mean, I'm thinking of people, I know people from right across the spectrum. I mean, Joe Elliott from Def Leppard, his home studio is called Joe's Garage for a reason in Dublin. I, I'm quite good friends with... the. Uh, legendary punk band the Ruts, the Ruts or Ruts DC as they are now and I remember I was talking to Segs and, and Dave from the band about um, the making of their class, first classic album The Crack with Malcolm Owen the one they made with their original singer and they were actually saying to me at the time we wanted it you know we were listening to a lot of Zapper and we wanted that quality when we were making it I'm thinking wow you know this is one of the classic London punk bands and they're referencing Zapper I mean they, I know they do listen to a lot of stuff but he really has that across the board appeal to people so so I think it's certainly going to be interesting also, Paul, about this one. Apparently that the film Zapper has been, it's a crowdfunding thing originally. It started, there was a Kickstarter campaign. It began in 2016 and apparently it's become the highest funded documentary in the crowdfunding site's history. So uh, there is, a, there is um, a trailer on YouTube. So if you just... Just type in Zapper Film on YouTube, you can have a gander it anyway. So, sounds interesting, yeah. The box set that's coming with, there's a load of rare stuff in a box set which is coming out, that's out in May, but I think there's actually a pre-order for that as well. If you can have a look at it on Amazon and see, there's more information. So that's that's our cult figure to start off with today.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So from cult figure to where do where we go next then, Tim?
2: Uh, well, we go to a much, uh, well, I'd say a household name really next, I would say, Paul. Um, Paul McCartney, of course, who has uh, another new album coming out shortly. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he might get somewhere one of these <laughs> yes, days. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah.
1: Thanks to Kanye West, of course. Let's not forget, yeah.
2: <laughs> oh Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yes, the, uh, the legendary <laughs> Beatles. is Uh, supposed to be sitting down with the the actor Idris Elba shortly and they're doing a 60, they're going to record a 60 minute special, this is for the BBC. I'm not sure what date it's going out. so it doesn't have a a broadcast date at the time of talking now anyway mm-hmm. uh it's just going to be called um <laughs> wait for it idris elder meets paul mccartney but anyway it's supposed to be
1: <laughs> i bet they thought long and hard about that one <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely yeah that's right it's supposed to be broadcast this month and um, uh, sorry not in december i don't have a date it'll be closer to christmas it's going to be going out on bbc radio 2 and bbc sounds and um They're promising that the discussion will span the entirety of Paul's career. So I guess we're talking early days of the Beatles right through to his recently new album, which is coming out. And
1: did you say 60 Minutes? Because that's an awful lot to get into 60 Minutes, isn't it?
2: I'm thinking that myself yeah it seems it seems a little yeah. bit optimistic but um, I don't know that's mm. what they're talking about um, I imagine that they will be talking about McCartney's new album he's just been doing like a lockdown album which is called it's called McCartney so 3 I think
1: everyone's doing something during lockdown but yeah yeah
2: I think that's it well apparently this is one he's played more or less all the instruments on it all, from what I gather but he's done a couple of these albums before McCartney and McCartney 2 you know again so you can follow the thread with it but I think that very first one I think McCartney he won the first one was almost like a kind of precursor to like the lo-fi recording that people do now and as in that he played everything on it so he's carried on with that tradition so um, that's out on December the 11th so I guess the um, documentary thing will probably uh, the broadcast will probably follow that, so one to look out for.
1: So, what have we got next for us then, Tim?
2: And finally tonight, Paul, um, more classic rock. Uh, well, we talked about the Beatles. So, the uh, the famous rivals at one time, even though they were very good friends, the Rolling Stones. Um, they've you probably did you see that they'd launched um, a, a new memorabilia store recently in London? Yes. Have you seen that at all?
1: Yeah, can it be can it be nine or, yeah. something, or something? Yeah, yeah.
2: That's right. It's called RS Number 9, and it is in London's Carnaby Street. They opened the shop physically in September. And uh, one of my colleagues from You Discover, who actually knows the Stones a little bit, he's he's already been there, and he says it is very, very good. Although he does say that some of the prices are, well, certainly (laughs) high-end, shall we say. Now, I've only had a quick look at it, so I don't know. You know, he was saying that even, like, the mugs are quite expensive and so forth. So I don't know, but it's all officially sanctioned merchandise. But um, now that they've just launched an online version of it, uh, there's an e-version of it you can check out now. And uh, apparently this promises a fully immersive 360-degree virtual shopping experience. So it sounds Mm. quite interesting
1: anyway. Okay, so So if you're big fans of the Stones and you want some official merch and you you can't get down to London because of lockdown and all these sorts of restrictions, then... uh, best thing to do is check out their their virtual online store. Yeah, and apparently they've all
2: kinds of stuff in there, Paul. There's um, lots of memorabilia, there's a lot of vinyl for sale uh, but also limited edition accessories and giftware and the other thing that they promise in there, there's a bespoke t-shirt customization station, so I don't know if that means you can actually go in and just start from scratch a bit like Build-A-Bear or something you have your shirt or something and you can can have whatever design you want on it Uh, but that's one of the things they're offering so, um, but I, I not obviously not tried it myself and i don't know anyone personally who's <laughs> who's actually tried that service out but that's what they're offering anyway so yeah that's...
1: So many things came to my mind when you said about the shirt customization. I thought the first thing was the football shirts, you know, when you have your names printed on the back. And then the second one was, <clears> can <throat> I have my face on instead of Mick? Yeah. Running next to me, my face over Mick's, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
2: it sounds, like a, it sounds like a cool idea, doesn't it? I wonder if you can, actually, I'd rather like that. I'd like to be next to Charlie, I think, if it was for me. Charlie Watts is a big fan, I'm a big fan of him. So, you know, so uh, was it, I think Keith himself said, uh, to be the Rolling Stones, you need to have Charlie and four other people. So, I mean, there you go. Can't say fair <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Absolutely, absolutely No, absolutely fantastic Tim Thank you so much for bringing us The the latest news as you do Here and uh, where can we catch you If we want to read your work
2: You can catch me on Youdiscovermusic.com And you can catch me in Record Collector
1: So when Tim mentioned it there at the time, Alex Winter, the name rung a bell with me. He's directing the Zapper documentary. Now, Alex Winter, I've just looked. He's well known to people, probably better known to people, actually, as Bill from Bill and Ted from the movies. So there you go. Thanks, as always, to Tim for coming on and sharing us the headlines from This Week in Rock. Right, it's time to hear from our rock star interview now, and it's the first foray of ours into the classic punk world, really. This guy was the guitarist in one of the big early bands of the UK punk movement, one of the first big punk bands to come from the north and actually make it big. He formed a cracking songwriting partnership with Pete Shelley, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Sit back and enjoy this week's interview. I'm delighted to be joined on the phone today by a guitarist who's been there, seen it and done it over the last 44 years. Welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, Steve Diggle from Buzzcocks. Hi, Steve. Hi,
0: nice to be here. Yep.
1: Good stuff. Now, 44 years, I mean, for a band, a punk band, you know what I mean, to have lasted so long. I mean, a lot of them crashed and burned and quickly fizzled out, but to, to be around for so long, I mean, what do you put that down to? What do you put your longevity down to?
0: Well, and, you know, in one way, it seems to have gone so quick. You know, if you look at it in terms of albums and stuff, I mean, we have made quite the album, but uh, looking at it like that, you think, well, we haven't done that much over the years, <laughs> but we have done a lot. Um, I, mean, I mean, we we toured all, the, all those years. We toured the world for years, and um, you just sort of get in, in in the swing of things, really. You know, I enjoy it on the road. I enjoy making records. You know. It was what I was born to do, With really, you know. You had a little dream when you was like... Sixteen or seventeen. Now you might join a band or get a, you know get a band together, and then it's become the biggest dream possible. You know, so I spent all my life doing it, and um, you know it's been amazing. I get off on the crowds. I mean, we've done thousands of shows all around the world. You know, Brazil, Australia, UK. You know, England, of course, everywhere. So that keeps you alive and going, really. You know, and the fans have been like stuck with us through you know all the years, and. Um, the thing about the Buzzcocks, you know, I mean, we were a powerful act, and it was really rocking, mate. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You never had to go to a Buzzcocks gig and ask anyone to clap their hands or stand <laughs> on the seat or something. It was just like, they was kind of telling you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: you see the videos and, then, and you see yourselves. I mean, you're always dripping with sweat. There's so much energy, not just from the crowd, but from yourselves
0: as well. Well, absolutely, yeah. You know, you're kind of feeding back. It's like a cybernetic two-way feedback, yeah. Um, you're getting the vibes from the crowd. You're giving the vibes... And in the middle, that, that's where you kind of meet, where everything comes alive. Because we know we've got like an hour and a half or whatever um, to generate this thing. And, uh, you know, the nature of Buzzcock songs, which is usually fast and up-tempo, um, generates that. That's where you see God, the devil, and yourself and everything else in the middle <laughs> bit, you know. Um, but that gives you the excitement. and You know, you go away feeling alive. You know, the crowd feel alive and uh you know, it's inspiring for the crowd and for us, you know. So um, th- that's the lifeblood of doing it, really, you know. So it's, it, you know, it's 44 years, but it's uh, it's never been a problem, you know. It's what I signed up to do, really, you know. Really? Although I didn't know that at a time when you don't know where it's going to take you. think, well, if you get a few shows, a few gigs, uh, see where it goes from Because I never really planned anything as such, but um, all of a sudden, you know, I mean, things just took off and... Uh, and and we had you know some great songs as you know so I mean you know we did single, single it was like wow this is the Buzzcocks on the map you know, <laughs> so we started in the, you know well we brought the Sex Pistols to Manchester so we were really at the beginning of punk I was going to say uh, yeah your
1: first show was, was it, on the bill with the Sex Pistols wasn't it in Manchester yeah, yeah.
0: well we brought them there because uh, I think it was Howard I it was in the band um, he saw them in a like, Chelsea little Chelsea club it was Unknown, well, really and he said we'll put a poster up and, uh, in Manchester and uh, and we ended up opening up for them and um, all the journalists came down to see the sex piece so There I'm surprised that there was a band from Manchester there you know yeah. like we came on and blasted out 20 minutes so you know they were surprised but well, that kind of put us on the map because they reviewed that you know they all thought it was starting in London but we kind of had the same idea and feelings in Manchester you know and that kind of put Manchester on the map yeah. and then the provinces on the map, really. Because, you know, people in Sheffield and Scotland and a lot of places thought, so, you know, we can start punk banding our, our own town. So it was very inspirational, really, in that you way. Know, because it was like, well, if the postcocks are doing Manchester, we haven't gone to London at the time, you know, it was like, well, we could do it. When we went on those early tours, you know, every um, every town came alive, you know all those 70s discos were taken over and, and suddenly become like punk venues mm. you know I mean we didn't we, we kind of played you know we was on the White Riot Tour and all that big bigger venues but uh, you'd go to these little clubs after, and this was run down and uh, all of a sudden everybody's come alive because they've taken over the place and many it a punk venues. so a very exciting times, you know, and... Um,
1: you said it was really exciting times. I mean, what was it like amongst the punk bands at the time then? I mean, obviously, you did bits with the Sex Pistols. Was, was the camaraderie about what you were doing at the time or was the rivalry or was it somewhere in between?
0: Oh, no, we was kind of like mates, you know. I mean, the Sex Pistols loved us, you know, they loved what we were doing because it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't like them, you know what I mean? Them and The Clash as well, you know. The Clash yeah. loved us too, you know, but so we all became like the school of 76 really started all that, you know, and um, so, you know, I knew the Clash well and, um, and the Pistols well and all that stuff. And also the Jam and the Damned, you know, that was the nucleus of punk rock in 76 and 77. All the other ones came later, you know. Yes. But that was our school, and if we ever if I ever run into any of those, we all kind of know where we started from, you know. Um, so there is that come around to there. there was not any rivalry there with all of that then you know but what happened from there then it was like suddenly I just start making records and uh and so each band got their own, got their own identity you know because everybody was just oh you're a punk aren't you and all that kind of stuff and then nobody knew really what it was or what it was supposed to be doing and then you know the class put singles out we put singles out and each band had their own identity, you
1: know. Brilliant. And you signed with uh, United Artists, and as fate would have it, it was on the day that Elvis died. But uh, from that point on, um, you guys just kind of worked non-stop, didn't you? You put out some, like, three albums in, in just under two years, didn't you? And you toured, like you said, yeah. the UK and Europe and America as well. I mean, how was that at the time? It must have been exhausting.
0: Oh, it was, but it was, it was one minute you was doing nothing, and by the age of 20, you know, suddenly, like you say, it all took off, and it was like... We'd go in a rehearsal room, and you know, Pete'd have some songs, and I'd have some songs, and we'd go. oh, It goes like this, and we've got to be at the pub office five. The open, <laughs> you know, it's the afternoon, and so we'd bang these songs out. But the band was so tight and good; it was like you sound the band your song, and and it was like okay, it goes a bit like this, and we had them sorted out. You know, we didn't spend days sweating about this stuff. But it, you realize the magic and the chemistry of the band at the time. Um, could pop these songs away really easy, you know, and um, um, when you're young, you know, and you have that, it's, it's kind of like this magical self-belief somehow, but, it, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, well, we'll bang the hit single out, and then we'll be in the pub at half five, and kind of not invite you, you know, <laughs> didn't, didn't worry about it so much, um, but we knew what we had, you know, there was a lot of off the ball with who Peter was, and who I was, you know, you'd kind of, do that bit at home. So when you came in with your chords and the chorus and some words you were working on it, it was like, you've done a lot of the the internal work at home or, you know, hanging around with yourself. So there was all that. But those songs came together and like you say, we'd we'd put singles out and then they wouldn't be on the albums most of them. So we'd do the albums as well. So it was, yeah, it was very uh, prolific uh, uh, in those times. And then we'd go off on a thirty-two day tour. You know, we do <laughs> about eight or two dates a year and more, uh, as well as being in the studio. So, can't remember being at home really.
1: And is that one of the things that uh, contributed to to the the first breakup of the band? Then
0: I think it was in the end. Yeah, I mean, it, it's inevitable, really. What happens is, you know, a party can't last forever, and um, from touring Britain and Europe, suddenly, you know, you you going to America and places like that. And, you don't really break America. America breaks you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, we'd had some wild tours there. I mean, it was full on rock and roll, you know? And, uh, um, but so it'd take a long while to get, get around the world in a way, doing these tours. And then you'd, um, like I say, we, you know, be like, well, when, it, you know, let's, let's do the next single or the next um So yeah, it took a lot of your time and we was together a lot, a lot of the time. Um, and um, there was some pretty wild times there. So eventually you're going to kind of burn out, really. And that, that's kind of what happened after, I think it was uh, five years or something like mm-hmm. that. Five years of intensity, you know. Um, but you wouldn't change it for the world, you know what I mean? It was just like... Like the painter Turner, he tied himself to the mast and went out to fill the elements in the sea. And that's what I thought it was, felt like, you know, bring it all on, you yeah. know. Yeah. So it... You know, when you get an opportunity, you've just got to take it and realise, you know, we just we just took a hole in our stride in a way. But um, you've got to have a lot. It's one thing learning an instrument, but you've got to have a lot of stamina and strength to deal with all the other stuff, you know.
1: So you guys got back together after a few years um, apart, and then you, you went from strength to strength. You carried on recording albums and touring, and you toured with some huge acts. I mean, you, you you were on one of the last tours of, with Nirvana, weren't you? At the, at the stage in '94. Yeah,
0: we did a last tour. with them. I mean, we we were uh, we were in America and uh, we're playing in Boston. We were doing like a forty-day tour of America it was like, we had an album called TTT Trade Test Transmission so we had all these televisions behind I used to smash six televisions every night Did it all <laughs> around Britain Europe and all around America so at the end of the show I smashed the six t- TVs and I came off the stage in Boston and uh, immediately in front of me was Kurt Cobain saying I love the way you smashed the televisions man you know <laughs> so I told him there was an answer because I got electric I nearly died of electric shock on one <laughs> show. And uh, he said he's only smashed one television. I said, you've not lived, man. I'll show you the art of doing it. <laughs> so it implodes and the smoke comes out. So uh, we did that tour and, yeah, and Sam shot himself at the end. But uh, we got one well with all Nirvana, you know, with Dave and uh, smear and Chris Novoselic. You know, all the, yeah. we had a great time with them, you know, uh, in and in out of each other's dressing rooms and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that was a, they was big fans of, uh, of the band as well, you know. Fantastic. Um, but, you know, Buzzcocks had a very unique sound and, uh, you know, we was very distinctive, really. Yeah.
1: yeah, you 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 were almost, uh, well, not almost, you were, you were. Your songs were a lot more um, intellectual in, in subject matter and lyrics and things like that than your stereotypical what you class as a punk band, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, and we had, like, a few discordant chords because we was, like, into crowd rock and different things like that, you know, uh, we was into um, experimental stuff, you know. When I was 16, I used, you know, I'd, I'd go on a Saturday night and my mother, would, uh, she'd be hoovering up the next day outside my bedroom and I'd have the hangover. <laughs> so I recorded her once on my 1970s big stereo and played the, the, the hoover, the vacuum cleaner back at her, you know, 100 watts. And um, I realised, wow, that's white noise, you know, and um, you can record a hoover. <laughs> Which I did on my solo. I, I was telling this story in the studio, and I did my solo on I mean, *Inner Space* Times a few couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And so we had a Hoover on the track.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good memories.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it all comes around again, if you see what I mean. Good stuff. And I read a quote from I read a quote from Johnny Marr saying that. Uh, on autonomy, that riff, down, 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 down. Mm-hmm. he said, when I heard that, he said that I knew that was the new riff of Manchester, you know, <laughs> uh, a modernistic, you know, call with a, and the new sound, you know, which I thought, oh, that's a good compliment. I never it certainly it is. Like that, but yeah. It's kind of, a, you know, for that time as well, it was kind of, you know, different and futuristic and being experimental, you know. <laughs>
1: Definitely. Yeah. And now, just looking at now then, um, you, you've released a, a fantastic box set. I mean, six CDs in there. It's got 137 tracks. There's 83 previously unreleased ones on there as well. It's called Late for the Train, live and in session. Um, it's got an absolute ton of brilliant material, live stuff going from many different years and stages. and um, It's absolutely tremendous. Now, you've been heavily involved in this, haven't you?
0: Yeah, I mean... Uh, we were speaking about what we were doing in lockdown and that was one of the things we was kind of talking to Cherry Red Records about this stuff they was asking if we got anything Um, and we did a a box set of like the last four albums called Sell You Everything and then of course it was like well we found some demos we put on there then it was like oh well these these radio stations and these uh, these is uh, proper 24 track live recordings of Mm -hmm. shows and stuff so um, during the lockdown, because, you know, we can't do anything. It was like, well, let's put all that together because, you know, well, a lot of fans were asking for that. You know, is there anything in the can? We get a lot, So, yeah, been tro- we've been trolling through all that stuff and come up with this thing of all, all like, the radio sessions yeah. and, uh, and the live gigs like, for the train, yeah. So uh, that's kind of like the companion now to, like, the last four or five albums we had at the box set. sell you everything. So there's these two things which for a Buzzcocks fan you've got a lot of material there, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal. That
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and then you were chatting as well, like you said just before the start there that um like a lot of musicians during lockdown, it's been difficult because you can't get out on the road and play for the fans, which is what you love to do. But on the other hand, we're going to have an amazing 2021 because the amount of bands that are going to come out with new music is going to be phenomenal. And and you said you've, re- you, well, you've not recorded, but you've, you've written enough great material for two albums. So you're going to have to kind of hone that into one now, aren't you?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I love enough for other things. I'm wanting to put some singles out and then albums. You know, singles perhaps not on the album and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But yeah, I'm only start start recording that in February. Um, we did have a single out Go "Get Better" and "Destination Zero. Yeah. I like the B-side better, really, even a rock Um But what I want to do with the with the next bunch of singles I do is make deliberate B-sides if you like, because. Remember growing up, and you'd hear things on Jukebox, the B side was always a bit weird. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So rather than try and make two hit singles or something, you know, like A side ones, I want to do some weird B sides, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you've got like a classic A side and then, then something weird on the B side, you know. Bit experimenting. A bit of experimental. Yeah, a bit more experimental and a bit weird. It's like, well, that's definitely the B side, you know. But get into something that way with it, you know, bring someone else to the table rather than, like, just trying to write some, you know, commercial hit or something, you know.
1: Absolutely. Which we
0: never did, anyway. We always just sat down and did what we did. They only came in because people with the feet. But, yes, yeah, so we're, we're doing that. We had to Got to Get Better single out. Uh, and then people loved it, you know, they were sort of buying it on the road and in the shops and downloading it and everything. And then, of course, the COVID came in. So got a lot of stuff. And, like you say... To every band in the world, can't wait to get out there and play their new material and uh, and get touring again. You know, yeah. yeah,
1: it'd be an absolute pleasure to see you back on the road and listen to your new material. Now, Steve, thank you so much for joining yeah. us on Vintage Rock Pod. It's been a pleasure to speak with you.
0: Absolute pleasure. Hopefully, see you next year.
1: The wonderful Steve Diggle from Buzzcocks there. Remember, you can also catch the interview over on our YouTube channel. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod and you'll get it on there along with all the other interviews and stuff like that we've done too. Now, with such a long history, it's never easy trying to pick a top five with some of these acts on these series, but here goes. Here's the top five Buzzcock songs according to Vintage Rock Pod. At 5 is a track released in 1980 from the album A Different Kind of Tension. It's catchy and hooky and has a really bouncy bassline. At number 5 is I Believe. At number 4 is a sing along staple that the Buzzcocks were brilliant at. This came from their first album, Another Music in a Different Kitchen, and was released as a single in 1978. At number 4 is I Don't Mind. At Three is the first track the band released to the world, and very controversial at the time too. Didn't get a lot of airplay on radio, as you probably understand. Singer Pete Shelley in a later interview said it's the only song he listens to in Shudders. But to be fair, it's a great song, and it sits at number three for me. It's Orgasm Addict. Second on our list is the band's first track to break the top 40, reaching number 37 in 1978. Didn't originally appear on a studio album, but later showed up on repressings of another music in a different kitchen. It's another of those irrepressibly catchy, upbeat punk numbers that even appeared on one of the Guitar Hero video games. At number two is What Do I Get? And at number one is perhaps the obvious choice, but it is a masterpiece of the generation from the album Love Bites. *Enemy* named it the best song of 1978 and a cover of the track featuring legends like Roger Daltrey, Robert Plant, David Gilmour and Elton John, among others, was released in 2005 as a tribute to the great John Peel. It topped out at number 12 in the UK charts too. The number one Buzzcock song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is the wonderful ever fallen in love with someone you shouldn't have. There you go, a great list of tracks there from a wonderful band. Check them out if you're not too familiar. As always, let me know your thoughts on that selection. Do you agree or disagree with that list? I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on all the social media channels. Search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube and let me know. There you go, another brilliant episode of Classic Rock Musings. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast series wherever you're listening to this show. Give us a review and a rating too as well. That all helps. Tell your friends and spread the word about the podcast little heads up about what's coming up in the next episode then. We're changing direction. We're going to speak to an incredible songwriter who's been inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame over in America. Two of his songs appear on the biggest selling album in American history. And as you'd expect, he's got some great stories about working with one of the biggest bands of all time. Until episode 10 then, take it easy and keep listening to your rock music. And if you come across anyone who isn't a fan, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care.